Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Thursday, July 14th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Balak. Numbers 24, 1-12 By now Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel, so he did not resort to divination as before. Instead, he turned and looked out toward the wilderness, where he saw the people of Israel camped tribe by tribe. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and this is the message he delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Peor, the message of the man whose eyes see clearly, the message of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob! How lovely are your homes, O Israel! They spread before me like palm groves, like gardens by the riverside. They are like tall trees planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their offspring have all they need. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. For them he is as strong as a wild ox. He devours all the nations that oppose him, breaking their bones in pieces, shooting them with arrows. Like a lion, Israel crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to arouse her. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, O Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. 
He angrily clapped his hands and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promise to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept you from your reward. Balaam told Balak, Don't you remember what I told your messengers? I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. I told you that I could say only what the Lord says. First Chronicles 16, 37-18, 17 David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, doing whatever needed to be done each day. This group included Obed-Edom, son of Jeduthun, Hosa, and 68 other Levites as gatekeepers. Meanwhile, David stationed Zadok, the priest, and his fellow priests at the tabernacle of the Lord at the place of worship in Gibeon, where they continued to minister before the Lord. They sacrificed the regular burnt offerings to the Lord each morning and evening on the altar set aside for that purpose, obeying everything written in the Torah of the Lord, as he had commanded Israel. David also appointed Heman, Jedithan, and others chosen by name to give thanks to the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. They used their trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments to accompany their songs of praise to God, and the sons of Jedithan were appointed as gatekeepers. Then all the people returned to their homes, and David turned and went home to bless his own family. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of the Lord's covenant is out there under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you. But that same night God said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. My home has always been a tent, moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, Yahweh Sabaoth, has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has lived ever on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will defeat all your enemies. Furthermore, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings, for when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house." a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. 
I will never take my favor from him as I took it from one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time, and his throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone very great, O Lord God. What more can I say to you about the way you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. For the sake of your servant, O Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. O Lord, there is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations that stood in their way. You chose Israel to be your very own people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever. And may your name be established and honored forever, so that everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's armies, Yahweh Savayot, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O my God, I have been bold enough to pray to you, because you have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O Lord, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now it has pleased you to bless the house of your servant, so that it will continue forever before you. For when you grant a blessing, O Lord, it is an eternal blessing. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath and its surrounding towns. David also conquered the land of Moab, and the Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. David also destroyed the forces of Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, when Hadadezer marched out to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River. David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He crippled all the chariot horses except enough for 100 chariots. When Arameans from Damascus arrived to help King Hadadezer, David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the Aramean capital, and the Arameans became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadadezer's officers to Jerusalem, along with a large amount of bronze from Hadadezer's towns of Teba and Kun. Later, Solomon melted the bronze and molded it into the great bronze basin called the Sea, the pillars, and the various bronze articles used at the temple. When King Toy of Hamath heard that David had destroyed the entire army of King Hadadezer of Zobah, he sent his son Joram to congratulate King David for his successful campaign. Hadadezer and Toy had been enemies and were often at war, 
Joram presented David with many gifts of gold, silver, and bronze. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had taken from the other nations, from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek. Abishai, son of Zeroiah, destroyed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed army garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. In fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zeroiah, was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sariah was the court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. And David's son served as the king's chief assistants. Romans 2, 1-24 You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they never had God's written Torah. And the Jews who do have God's Torah will be judged by that Torah when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the Torah doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the Torah that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written Torah show that they know His Torah when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's Torah is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, Yeshua, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's Torah, and you boast about your special relationship with Him. 
You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his Torah. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's Torah gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the Torah, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, The Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Psalm 10, 16-18 The Lord is King forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed, so mere people can no longer terrify them. Proverbs 19, 8 and 9 To acquire wisdom is to love yourself. People who cherish understanding will prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and a liar will be destroyed. I want to speak to you from our reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 16 through 18 today. And we are getting into some discussion about David and his kingship over the nation of Israel. And David is the last, first and last king that ruled over one united nation of all 12 tribes. And he gets a tremendous prophetic word from the prophet Nathan. And the Lord speaks to Nathan and tells him to share some things with David. And it's in David's heart to build the Lord a temple, a cedar temple, a beautiful temple where he can dwell. But God replies to him in chapter 17 of First Chronicles um, My home has always been a tent moving from one place to another in a tabernacle. I've never once complained and said, why don't you build me a beautiful cedar house? But it goes on to say about David and his dynasty, I declare that the Lord will build a house for you, David, a dynasty of kings. Verse 11, for when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. And that's referring to Solomon. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. So the lineage of David, that kingship lineage is forever. So it leads right to Yeshua. In Matthew chapter 1, the opening verses of chapter 1 gives a a genealogy. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to give you a little bit of it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and it goes on and on. And um, I'll skip on down to 
verse 17. All of those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. So that's very precise, very elegant, very beautiful that God ordained these generations. And so Yeshua is of the lineage of King David. And when he returns as king and he rules and reigns, he is of the lineage of David. So everything that was prophesied to David from Nathan the prophet um, is going to come to pass. Um, David replies in a prayer in a very humble way. He says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family that you brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. And so he says, What more can I say about the way you've honored me? And um, zooming, I want to zoom in on verse 22. Or I'll start with verse 21. You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations that stood in their way. You chose Israel to be your very own people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Now I want to focus in on that. Who is Israel? Well, lots of people assume that Israel is that land over there, surrounded by all those hostile Arab nations. Or they assume Israel are is those Jewish people who migrated and returned and made Aliyah to the land, the, na- the country called Israel, the people Israel. But you see, God has only one people, and they are called Israel. And the people who left Egypt were not just Jews. The Jews are of the tribe of Judah, and that's only one of 12 tribes. So there's 12 tribes, and they came from the 12 sons of Jacob. And they were also a mixed multitude. So Israel is the name of Yeshua's family. He's coming for one people, one bride, one book, the Torah, one God the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh and Yeshua, they are one. The Father and the Son, they are one. And Israel is the bride of Yeshua. So sometimes when you get into mainstream Christianity, there's this dichotomy. It's almost like a a split, a splinter in the thinking. There's Israel, and then there's the church. And there's all the covenant promises that God made to Israel. And then there's all these covenant promises that God makes to the church. Yeshua is not coming back for two brides. He's coming back for one bride. And the name of his people is called Israel. And Israel is also called the house of Jacob. And the house of Jacob is includes all 12 tribes. It's northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of the north, and southern kingdom, the two tribes of the south, the house of Judah, also known as the Jews. So that kingdom split happened, and one day that kingdom split is going to be healed, and there will be one united nation. And I'm not talking about the United Nations 
plural, it'll be the United Nation of Israel, no longer splintered into two kingdoms. So I wanted to just share a little bit on and unpack that a bit for you. Uh, let's look now at 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 14. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. Now I know David had flaws. He was imperfect. He sinned with Bathsheba. He had a lot of wives and a lot of concubines. He was not a perfect man, but in this statement here, he is a shadow picture pointing us to Yeshua the Messiah. Because Yeshua is going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and he is without sin. He is perfect. Now I want to jump into Romans chapter 2. And in verses 4 and 5, let's look at this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? This is part of his nature and his character. He's very kind and very patient and tolerant. And it's his graciousness and his patience and his loving kindness that really melts our heart when we're caught up in terrible sin and then we come to the place of repentance and we see God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Let me give you um, a real practical down-to-earth example. In my life, the Lord has given me what I call assignments. And sometimes these assignments are really, really tough. They're not forever. They're, you know, maybe for a couple of years, and then you finish the assignment, you finish the project, and then you can move on. And the Lord gave me one assignment where I had to move far, far, far away from my family to a place I'd never been to before. I only knew one person there, and it was a rather cold, hostile, spiritual environment to be in. And I was extremely lonely. I had to leave all of my friends, all of my family, all of my mishpoka, and work in this literally cold weather environment, but also spiritually and emotionally rather cold environment. I was really lonely. And working in this on this project, it was hard. It was tough. And three different times, I tried to leave. And the Lord orchestrated events and circumstances so that I couldn't. I wanted to leave. And I remember having a conversation with him, Lord, this is hard. I don't like this assignment. I want to leave. And what I heard him kind of whisper to me is, Laura, you're my Mission Impossible girl. I give you the impossible missions because I know you'll get it done. You're the getter done girl. You're not going to leave until you finish. You're not allowed to put your running shoes on and run away. You need to finish this project. And it was really tough. It was really a stretch. I, I was very, very lonely uh, and far away from loved ones. And finally, the project was completed after three and a half years, and the Lord orchestrated circumstances so that I could leave and head back to the West Coast, close to my mishpoka and my family, my children and grandchildren. And these verses resonate with me 
It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? And that's what he calls us to be to others when they greatly try our patience. When we just want to throw up our hands and give up and walk away, run away, and just say, I give up. This is too hard. This is too difficult. It might be a tough marriage that you just want to give up on it or a tough living situation, or a really tough work situation with a really difficult boss, or a work environment that's really um, hostile, and you just want to, you know, run away, leave. And I'm good at that. In times past, I have put on my running shoes and I run away. But God won't let me do that anymore. He's saying, no, I want you to be wonderfully kind when others are not. I want you to be tolerant, and I want you to be patient with the people you're working with or living with or serving. I want you to be patient because I'm patient, and that's who I am. That's one of my nature and character is to be patient, because this is what can melt people's hearts. God is very patient with us, and he's very kind and tolerant, and we need to be that way with those around us. When we're in a tough situation and we're tempted to flee and run away and quit, he says, no, stay. Be patient, be kind, be tolerant, be forgiving. Every day is a fresh new day with a new beginning. And when we learn the lesson that the Lord wants us to learn, when he has imparted more of his nature and his character into us, and now that character is a part of who we are, then we pass the test, and the assignment is completed, and we can move on to the next assignment. Okay, have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai Vish Mareka Yeah Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Ileka Vayaseh Leka Leka Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>